Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. feels a lot like the way the internet did, perhaps in the late 80s, early 90s, right? You knew it was significant, it was big, it was evolving rapidly. Didn't quite know exactly how it was all gonna play out, but there was a lot of opportunity to innovate and create in the process. Big global challenges come with big global opportunities, particularly when you offer bold, cutting edge solutions. You know, R&D doesn't always work swimmingly all the time, but even if a couple of these hit, it's gonna be pretty transformative for us. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Solving today's environmental problems takes creativity and innovation, but it also requires strong industry partnerships, and today's guest is doing just that. We're sitting down with Vijay Mantrapagada, President, CEO, and Board Member of Montrose Environmental Group, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol MEG. Vijay brings significant leadership and management experience to the company, Previously, he was the CEO of PetCare RX, a high-growth e-commerce company in the pet health industry. Prior to that, Vijay was in investment banking at Goldman Sachs and was also a director at the advisory board company and a member of Johnson & Johnson's management development program. He received his MBA from Wharton and his BS from Duke and Oxford. We sat down to talk about Montrose's mission to protect the environment with groundbreaking technology. Let's enter the arena with Vijay Mantrapagada. We make our money by helping our clients with environmental solutions. So practically, we measure and mitigate uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We measure water quality and we uh, remove contaminants from water like the PFAS chemicals that have gotten a ton of press recently so that all of us can drink cleaner water. We take waste, we make resources or energy out of it, um, and then we help with monitoring and compliance with environmental regulations. And so that's kind of what we do. Yep. Have you, uh, like, have you always had a passion for the environment? Was there something growing up that kind of a light bulb went off in your head and you said, you know, this is the kind of work that I want to uh, make a career of and leave a legacy from? Yes. You know, my, my uncle was, he's almost like my grandfather. He was appointed by Reagan. Gosh, this would have been late the early 80s, maybe 1980, to start the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And he's a physicist. And so we, I was exposed kind of at a young age to things like, you know, acid rain and ozone depletion and probably aging myself a little bit. But back then, those were kind of topics du jour as it related to the environment. Um, and we've made great progress on both of them. And so, yeah, I, um, I would say that that, in hindsight, that probably had a pretty material impact on how I felt about and thought about this stuff. Never thought I'd have a career in it, uh, but it really is a privilege to be in it. 
you and I are probably about the same age. I haven't heard Acid Rain since I was a teenager, but it's such an interesting family story and to be able to carry through and have a career out of it. You know, speaking of your career, Duke, Oxford, Wharton, Goldman, you know, how did how did somebody with like a hardcore finance background end up uh, running Montrose? How did the opportunity come to you? <laughs> no one's ever called me hardcore finance, um, Tom. Uh, you know, that's about... It's a compliment. You know, I don't know. It depends, I guess. Goldman was, it was an incredible experience, um, but it was only about 15% of my life. I, um, you know, my, my education was really more in the, the science and research side. I'm studying biology, biochemistry, chemistry, worked in the healthcare industry, worked with nonprofits, spent more than half my career kind of in operating roles at junior levels and senior levels. And so finance and Goldman were certainly a key part of it. And I, I love my time there, but I wouldn't say that I, I'm a finance guy per se. Candidly, I ended up at uh, Montrose for, for the same reason I ended up in most places. I just had some great mentors and people that took a shot on me. Uh, I feel like I owe it to them. So um, that's how I got here. Well, the business seems uh, to me to be you know, huge and and very fragmented, maybe over a trillion total addressable market, which is uh, very significant. But despite the size, there seems to be no single leader. How do you characterize the market that you're going after? And how do you view the competition and kind of your positioning within the market? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. We, you know, yes, it's uh, the environmental industry, according to third party experts, is about a $1.3 trillion industry. Our addressable market, our TAM, is about uh, $500 billion of that, Tom. The industry grew up around a highly complex set of regulations that have evolved o- over many decades. And as a result, it's a very, very fragmented industry. Lots of small uh, players um, that m- do incredible work, but make up the primary service uh, engine for the industry. And so um, we don't really have anyone that does what we do, Tom. It's um, you know, different parts of our business uh, overlap with different parts of other people's businesses, but uh, we're kind of unique in the way we've kind of set ourselves up. And the problems are so significant, or I should say the, the challenges or opportunities, that the competition you know, is also an opportunity set. It's, it's folks we, that join us through acquisition. It's uh, companies we partner with. They're our clients. And so it's kind of fun. It feels a lot, Tom, like the way um, the internet did, perhaps in the late 80s, early 90s, right? You knew it was significant. It was big. It was evolving rapidly. Didn't quite know exactly how it was all going to play out, but there was a lot of opportunity to innovate and create in the process. Yeah. Reminds me of what's happening right now in AI, which we'll get to in a minute. But I do know the way you're kind of set up and to go after the markets you're going after is vertical integration, right? You're controlling the key channels, consulting, testing, engineering. Sounds a little bit like what Tesla's trying to do in cars, actually. Are your customers asking uh, to work with an integrated service provider? You know, how does kind of cross-selling and, and solving new problems for your clients play into your strategy? You know, we did a survey late last year asking our customers this very question, Tom, and over 80% said absolutely, right? So again, going back to what we were talking about a second ago, the industry is pretty fragmented. So we were putting those pieces together. The analogy I'd always use to describe this, Tom, is almost like a, a managing human health. Your primary care provider, you hope he or she kind of works with the folks pulling your blood or um, doing your x-rays and then that they're coordinated with the ones giving you medicine or doing surgery. That's the same reason we think these pieces make sense together for the environment. Who are your clients in as much as you can describe who they are? How do they break down between government, industrial communities? Who, Who are you dealing with? It's primarily industrial. So we are over 90% private sector. 
again, our, our aspiration is to kind of bring these solutions to a group of folks that perhaps were mostly driven by compliance, but may have a disproportionate uh, opportunity to uh, make a positive impact. And so we're, we're primarily private sector oriented. Switching gears a little bit, obviously the lifeblood of any company is reinvesting in R&D and, and innovation. And I know that's a key differentiator for you. Maybe talk about some breakthrough technologies you've created through the R&D effort. And what are the things that you're bringing to market that you're really excited about? Going back to our healthcare analogy, right? We think creating new treatments and new solutions is going to certainly help optimize uh, the way our environment uh, operates and interacts with us. And uh, how can we do things better? That's kind of the question we keep asking. And so our R&D team is it's uh, led by a gentleman named Steve Woodard. It's been a fantastic addition to our team. We generated six patents last year, Tom. We have a total of kind of 18 uh, since our inception. So it's a very productive engine. And a couple of great areas of focus. One is around carbon capture, CO2 capture. Uh, that's something that's gotten a lot of press recently. You know, the way we think we're doing it is unique. It's in development phase. We're actually working with a big brewery um, to see if we can kind of create a closed loop system in a very innovative way. And so I'm excited to hopefully share more with you guys about that soon. We figured out how to take some difficult to remove contaminants out of water so all of us can drink cleaner water. We're measuring contaminants or methane or greenhouse gases in real time more effectively. So that's been a lot of fun. And then software has been another key area for us. So um, lots of exciting activity. Uh, you know, R&D doesn't always work uh, swimmingly all the time. But even if a couple of these hit, it's going to be pretty transformative for us. You mentioned uh, greenhouse gas mitigation. And I know that's kind of a key part of your thesis, helping uh, clients get to kind of their net zero pledges. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that because it just seems so critical. Yeah, depending on what the impetus is, there's shareholder pressure, there's public pressure. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, you know, companies making their own commitments, uh, which include the net zero commitments. There's a couple of different ways you can tackle this. There's the removal of CO2 from ambient air. That's really tough to do for various economic and uh, scientific reasons. Even though our process would work in that instance, we believe our process is more targeted at removing CO2 from industrial production processes. And so we're able to kind of neutralize it before it gets out into the atmosphere, uh, as opposed to taking it out once it's in there. And you know we can't talk too much about it yet because it's still in development phase and it's a confidential set of activities, but um, there's a fair amount of attention that our team's putting into it, and we're pretty excited about the early promise it's showing. Uh, but, you know, it's development, Tom, so it may not work, but we hope to share more soon. Hey, listen, at least you have the financial wherewithal to invest in R&D, and I think that's the whole point. Not everything works, but you're doing it, and uh, companies who cut that off, and that's not even a light item in their P&L, I think uh, they could stagnate and, and be in trouble. So it's a key part of the company going forward, as you so aptly described. I wanted to talk about politics, which seems like everything is so political these days. I know. Um, I'm not going to ask anything tough on oh politics, oh but I know Montrose was founded uh, in the Obama uh, era and kind of worked through Trump, and now you're with Biden, so you've, you've outlasted all of them. But do the ups and downs of politics kind of impact the business? Maybe talk about that a little bit and political will kind of at the centerpiece of that question. Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, look, we're not just a U.S. company uh, anymore. So whether it's Canada or Australia or Europe, there's there's a similar set of themes. You know, we were incorporated in 2012 and kind of got off the ground in 2013. So you're right, that was right in the Obama era. But there's a fair degree of autonomy or power that rests as it relates to environmental regulations at the local, state, or municipal, or, you know, different countries, provincial level. And as a result, 
regulations ebb and flow in a slower way, uh, and they don't often pull back. Because we're diversified through our end markets, we don't really see a lot of fluctuation. You know, Obama and Trump were arguably two extremes uh, in terms of their approach to some of these topics. But at the state level, we still see a fair degree of autonomy. You know, it's unfortunate it's gotten politicized. I think we would all agree we want to breathe clean air and drink clean water and eat clean food. And so I think there is some universality to, to this uh, set of topics. And part of what we're hoping to accomplish uh, at Montrose is, is bring those pieces together as opposed to talk about why they're different. The Inflation Reduction Act is another element of the political landscape that affects Montrose's work. I wanted to know what the IFA's new environmental standards mean for Montrose's growth and development. The regs and some of the, the recent legislation, including the debt ceiling being lifted, had some environmental uh, regulation impact in it. There's a fair degree of momentum right now, a lot of it bipartisan around making sure that these frameworks work in a way that are kind of positive for the environment, positive for the economy, yeah, and for the broader public as a whole. And so we're, we're largely the beneficiaries of that, Tom, putting uh, caps on what uh, may be emitted in the future, how to, how to measure that more effectively, new contaminants that are now potentially going to get regulated at very low thresholds, but it's a pretty fair challenge uh, in terms of measuring and mitigating uh, this stuff, and that's kind of what we do. And so we're going to hopefully demonstrate over the coming years how we can have a positive impact, but also create jobs and shareholder value uh, as opposed to one or the other. Uh, but yeah, these, these regulations that are coming down the pike have been really good, good for us pretty much across the board. And I know that you came public in July of 2020. That's like a whole new new thing for you, I'm sure, which comes with a lot of added responsibility. But um, I really commend you because not a lot of companies kind of put a stake in the ground and put out financial goals. I know we're kind of only at the halfway point, but how do you feel about your financial progress so far uh, coming out of the gate as a public company? We're learning how, how to do this well, Tom. Uh, you know, we put some parameters out there to give folks a sense for how the company's going to progress. And with the public markets, you know, you have to keep repeating it because otherwise people, people anchor on kind of one metric or the other. But in aggregate, if we kind of think about the fundamentals of cash flow and cash returns, we're way ahead of goal. And we're really pleased with that. Uh, we've had the fortune of the market kind of coming our way, which has caused revenue to surge uh, and made our margins a bit wonky. But the absolute dollars uh, of earnings and cash have gone up compared to where we thought we would be at this time. So we're really pleased. A lot of this has more to do with how we manage the message than the fundamental economics. But we're in a really good spot. and We're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I, I was uh, really surprised at, at the scale you're operating at. You know, 3,000 employees, 80 markets, 6,000 customers all over the world, really. Obviously, you have a diversified portfolio. But what's happening right now that you're particularly happy with and uh, offers a lot of promise in the next three to five years? We're pretty thrilled about the fact that the areas we focused on many years ago, before they were as trendy perhaps as they are now, right? Uh, the greenhouse gas measurement mitigation, water treatment, and renewables, they're kind of coming to fruition in a really constructive way. And our clients are pulling us into all kinds of new geographies, Tom. So it's not like we're consciously going out and looking to grow in new geographies, but we're kind of following the lead of our clients. And so it's been fun. Our footprint in Europe um, looks incredibly promising. It's a huge market, very complex, in many ways more advanced in terms of the thoughts around environmental impact. So that our learnings from there, I think, will be really impactful here at home. 
And then the areas where we're really seeing some excitement around research and development from our client side is really fun for us to kind of watch unfold as well. And I think some of the goals that you've set for yourself don't include M&A which is uh, another uh, interesting area that, that Montrose can focus on. Maybe talk about your philosophy on how you approach that and how you think you can create value over the coming uh, decade through uh, non-organic growth. It is still a heavily regulated industry. And because regulations often are heavily influenced by local, county, or state dynamics, physical presence in a lot of these places makes a big difference. And so we use acquisitions to kind of bolster our beachheads or our teams in geographies where our clients want us to operate, where we may not be. So that's a big part of it. Uh, And then bringing in talent is, in this industry in particular, very technical, very scientific. We want to make sure we have the best. And so we use acquisitions to help us really get some incredible talent. Matrix is a great example of that. Over 400 employees with advanced degrees. We're really thrilled to have them in the mix. And then, of course, technology is another key area. So we use it to kind of accelerate or leapfrog our appetite for select initiatives uh, that we are working on organically, but we also use m to supplement that. Yeah. Part of being able to do that is a healthy P&L and a balance sheet. Maybe you can talk about the your kind of financial position, financial health as it relates to the balance sheet. Yeah. We're, um, we're about one times levered. We have a ton of firepower. The business is generating cash. And so we're using that to reinvest in the business, Tom. Um, uh, nothing different than what we've talked about before. We're feeling really good. You know, we took a little bit of a defensive position as we saw uh, kind of storms in the clouds back in mid to late 2021. Uh, but we're feeling like, um, you know, we're kind of starting to get on the other side of that. And we're seeing a lot of opportunities pop up. So we're going to be putting a lot of capital to work in the coming years. If you could wave a magic wand, what one thing would you like to see happen in the next five years around the environment that would make a real difference in people's lives? I know that's a little bit off the wall of a question, but it's a big, but it's <laughs> yeah. a big question. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's an interesting one. You know, as you think about what's causing a lot of the uh, challenges related to environmental management, you have kind of a growing global population with many, many billions of people needing more energy, wanting more food. And that obviously puts stresses on the environment. So if you said wave a magic wand, I think to do that in a more uh, environmentally sustainable way, Uh, would be uh, incredible. I mean, obviously, that's what we're trying to do. But if I could wave a wand and be in the future, we would have already done it. Well, I I had a couple of questions that are non-Montrose. I think it's always fun on these podcasts to get to know people. But uh, what's a great vacation? I'm actually going to Africa tonight, which should be pretty cool. But for you, what's a great vacation? Uh, What does that look like? You know, are you like a hiker in the national parks? Are you on the beach with a book to read? What's your favorite thing to do? Oh, man. Uh, where are you going in Africa, Tom? I'm going, I'm flying into Cape Town and going to uh, a game preserve up by uh, Kruger National Park. So I've never been. So very exciting. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, that's amazing. My wife and I got engaged in Tanzania oh my God. on a safari. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible stuff. That is breathtaking. In fact, our CFO, Alan, is from South Africa. So that's high on our list as a company to kind of make our way out there. So let us know how I'm it goes. Fired up. Yeah, he says it's incredible. Truthfully, uh, at this stage of my life, I've got three young kids. I don't get to spend as much time with them as I'd want, Tom. So any place I can go where, you know, I can hang out with them and play with them and just uh, be with them. Uh, So we were most recently uh, with the family on a, and my wife loves the beach. So we kind of hung out in the Caribbean and it was incredible. I personally love uh, the mountains, um, and so we spend a fair amount of time in those, and we love to travel. Uh, but it's really kind of kid-oriented at this point. Uh, not quite where I was a couple decades ago, and probably will be in a couple decades, but that's, that's where I am now. 
Yep. Now, I, I heard from a very reliable source that you're a huge fan of the band Rush, as am I, and loved oh, uh, Doug Donsky. Loved, yep, yes. loved, it, loved uh, <laughs> Neil Pert, who sadly, uh, the drummer, sadly passed away a few years ago. If you were picking three songs for your next leadership meeting to get people pumped up in Phoenix, what three Rush songs would you pick? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you get Rush songs. I was a drummer, too. Oh, you were? Oh, I, uh, I didn't know that. I probably, yeah, I, uh, I probably shouldn't have talked about that on my last interview or podcast, but um, that's probably where Doug got it from. Um, you know, gosh, you know, if you were going to pick songs for an environmental company, um, I mean, you, <laughs> I don't know that you'd pick Rush. You know, Neil Young recently put out some stuff. Uh, you know, I think it, there was an album called Colorado. You saw McCartney with his Egypt station. I love... Uh, Sturgill Simpson has some great lyrics there. Childish Gambino uh, had a song called Feels Like Summer that uh, that talks about kind of the warming earth. Uh, Billie Eilish recently had a song about it too, though that may be a bit too moody for an annual <laughs> meeting. Um, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think any songs about like cleaning up the environment or uh, they'd only get people at Montrose uh, fired up. Back to business though, and this is a serious question that I always always ask any CEO of a public company, you know, you'll, you'll sit down with investors, it's a big part of your job. Sometimes you're explaining the story and I always feel people on the other side of the table when they're quiet, they're either really smart or they don't get it at all. And uh, when they don't understand Montrose and they don't understand all of the things that make the company so valuable, what do you think they miss? I think the it's a lot like the financial industry. There's a lot of acronyms. It's very technical, uh, lots of individualized service lines. And so when you look at it, it feels like there's lots of activity and people don't understand why it all fits together. But usually when people don't get it, they're trying to compare us to comparables and they're saying, you know, are you like this company or are you like that company? And because we don't really have one, uh, our story becomes a little bit more challenging to tell uh, if that's the way folks start. You know, that's why I use that human healthcare analogy, Tom. And so what we say is, Look, our advisory work is like your primary care physician. Our testing work are like the, the blood draws and the x-rays. And our treatment work uh, are like the medicines uh, and the um, surgery. And what we're trying to do is coordinate those three. And everything we do fits into one of those three buckets. Um, and think of us trying to help the environment the way clinicians try to help you in terms of human health. And I think that that analogy tends to resonate. Montrose is positioned nicely for the future. They have a big secular tailwind behind them and a huge total addressable market. They're vertically integrated with clear financial goals and they're delivering on those goals. But most importantly, they are focused on the thing that every person, every family, every government and every business is very concerned about. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank VJ for joining me on the show today. He's leading Montrose in creating important environmental solutions with a solid commitment to R&D and we'll be watching closely as they push forward with these transformative technologies. This is Tom Ryan, and we'll see you next time back in the arena. 
References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.